Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic today is on salvation and specifically as to whether or not you are saved and positively saved, as in there is no doubt at all in your mind. And this is a great segue from Holy Week and Easter as we continue to remember that we just celebrated and remember what life is even all about and why Jesus did what he did for us. Again, it's not about bunnies and candy and eggs and eating and family. Easter is all about and only about salvation, the perfect gift from Jesus to the world and that of salvation. Genuine salvation is not assumed. Genuine salvation is not a mandate. Genuine salvation is not bound up in legalism. Genuine salvation is not ritualistic. Genuine salvation is not drowning in guilt and obligation. Genuine salvation is not about anyone else. Genuine salvation is not a right to passage. Genuine salvation is not about liking or, quote, knowing of God. Genuine salvation is likely not about sitting with someone who tells you you need to accept Jesus and having them tell you what to say. Genuine salvation is likely not responding to an altar call and praying at the front of a church. Genuine salvation is, however, knowing what no one else but only you and God truly know to be 100% true and that you have gone to Jesus the Son through God the Father and acknowledged with your heart and mouth that he is exactly who he says he is with 0% doubt or question. Genuine salvation then fully accepts the gift of salvation from God through his Son Christ who died for that moment in our life and our eternity with him in heaven. Genuine salvation is being redeemed from the punishment of eternal separation from God. Genuine salvation is freedom in Jesus Christ in this life and the next. Genuine salvation is truly being born again into the family of God, those he adopts as his children and only through obedience in him. Genuine salvation is knowing without a doubt that at the conclusion of this life, we will transition to the next life eternal with God in heaven. And genuine salvation is only accomplished and received when you go to God and you speak with him and you confess your sins to him and you believe in your heart that he is savior and Lord. No more, no less, period and God will hand you true life-altering salvation, permanent salvation. Why am I belaboring this point to death? Because it is a matter of life and death, and too few people get serious about this and simply operate on feelings and assumptions and wishful thinking and hopes and dreams, and that God will just love us and accept us for who we choose to be if we are, quote, good people. And this is not what God calls us to do or be. He calls us to be serious, disciplined, and very sure we have truly received genuine salvation because there is no good person. Not happy with that by chance? Well, if you think you are a good person, 
then that makes you the God of your own life and deciding what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong. Only a few people on the planet will ever label themselves as a truly bad person. So what does God have to say about this? Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that's pretty direct and self-explanatory, I think. So we see clearly again that genuine salvation is not something that just takes place and is easy and is just a natural interest and desire for us. Accepting the gift of salvation and listening to God's calling and being obedient to that call is hard. It is a battle. It's war. And I would say that is the case for anyone who finds genuine salvation. Now let's look at our main passages from God's Word, and we begin with eight verses from Scripture to help us walk through what salvation looks like. And we will begin with Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. We see here that God is the one who does the calling and the knocking, and we just need to be willing to listen for that and then go open the door. But that is going to be very hard and very trying. Next, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, we read, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And here's our answer to the last passage. Doing wrong and following is very easy, and doing what is right and following Christ is narrow and difficult. Next, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here God makes it clear that just because you think, assume, feel like you are in with God, does not mean you have any relationship with him. Again, God is not looking for people to look and talk religious. No, God is only interested in those who commit their lives to him and follow him. That's all. Next, John 3.36 states, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. This is quite clearly telling us and warning us to exactly what is expected in order to receive adoption into the kingdom of heaven through salvation and what will be if we do not. Next, John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, God is telling us exactly how we will receive his gift of salvation, the only way to receive salvation in him. No exceptions. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here we see it is very simple to accept God's gift of eternal life. While the fact itself is simple, calling on the name of the Lord 
The act of professing those words with our mouth is most often wrapped up in anguish and fear, however. Next, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So, what is the only way to get to God? You must have faith that He exists, no doubts, and is exactly who He says He is, no doubts, and will do for us what He says He will, and that is reward us with all goodness and love, and knowing that without any doubt. This too indicates that God does listen to the unbeliever in our communication with Him, but only for the purpose of coming to Him for a permanent relationship. It also indicates that just praying and going to church and reading the Bible, etc., is valueless if you do not have faith that He exists and will reward you for that. And finally, 2 Peter 1.10, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And these eight passages are a very good indication that accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is not just a whim or a feeling or some event you put on the calendar. This is serious, very serious, and each of our verses makes that abundantly clear, in addition to there being only one way to God. Now, I would say there are many who attend even moderately Bible-based churches who would consider themselves to be saved, a relationship with God, but what does true salvation really look like and just how many have truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, fully God, fully man, and accepted God's Word, the Bible, as inerrant? In other words, without any error, perfectly true and perfectly accurate that God is who God is, and there is no if, ands, buts, or whys about it. And this I know, having preached God's word to thousands, there are two distinct camps of those who call themselves saved, as in they assume they are going to heaven when they die. Camp number one, those who go to church, were raised in the church, spend a ton of time at church, read their Bible regularly, have been baptized, take communion, tithe, have a Christian family, go to Christian schools, wear Christian branded clothing, have your church's logo on the back of your car window, sing in the choir or serve in a notable role in the church, and tattoo scripture and crosses on every visible part of your body. Camp two are those who consider themselves to be, quote, good people, moral people, those who attend church a few times a year, own a Bible, give to good causes, are respectful, wear a cross or two as jewelry, love everyone, and just know that about everyone is good and kind. And this is my take on the two primary, what I will refer to as Christian lifestyle camps that most people would be in and determine they were saved and have a ticket to heaven on their last heartbeat. But either lifestyle or both combined has absolutely zero influence on whether or not you have truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and are truly heaven-bound when you close your eyes for the last time. When the rubber meets the road on these specifics, however, there are sadly many who will be discovered not to have truly accepted Jesus as a legitimate Savior, the one who would adopt them and give them the gift of the Spirit of God and a rebirth in Him, yes, born again, because none of the outward acts and displays of the person are of interest to God. 
It is, however, the inward, very personal act between you and God that is of all the value and purpose. We are now going to meet Joe, quite up close and personal, and you may indeed recognize his voice when you hear it, as he is the one who welcomes everyone at the beginning of each message. I asked Joe if he would be willing to share an abbreviated version of his journey to salvation, and I sincerely hope you will be encouraged by this. And while accepting Christ is often not a monumental story for others to hear, it is nonetheless a great opportunity each time we do hear someone who has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and their life's journey, not to forget the awesomeness of what Christ is still doing today around the world for all who get real with him and what he did for us as believers at one point or another in our lives. Joe, I am very grateful that you are willing to share your journey to Christ and the many years of struggles that led you to this amazing and life-altering place. And let's start at the beginning, your life as a kid growing up. I remember growing up hearing people give their testimonies about how they've come to Christ. And I've grown up in a Christian family. I've grown up in the church my whole life. And so it just means that my my walk with Christ is just it's like it just it's it's already there and then it's growing and it continues along. And it's never this moment where, oh, I realize I'm going down the wrong path and I need Christ and I need to ask him into my life. It didn't feel like it was about how can I grow in my relationship with Christ? It felt like I need to fall in line and I need to follow these rules. And it really felt like Christianity was presented to me like a bunch of boxes to check. When I got baptized, I got baptized at 12. It was because I felt guilty and afraid uh, I felt if I got baptized, somehow all of my insecurities and feeling inadequate would just somehow go away because my parents are Christian. I grew up in church. And if I get baptized, then somehow it'll all go away and I'll get love and acceptance from my parents and from God by doing this. And it turned out that didn't do anything. Um, it was a good show. And I, I didn't actually mean it. And I ended up living a lie and acting like a Christian to please other people and to satisfy my parents so I could feel loved and accepted. My relationship with God wasn't something of my own. It was never a personal relationship. And so I came to that realization recently that I hated God and I wanted nothing to do with him. And the only reason why I was claiming to be a Christian was because it was what was expected of me. And if I live the right way and do all the right things, then maybe somehow I'll be adequate. When I started talking with you, you challenged me to look really deeply into my life and at a lot of issues that I was avoiding. And no one has ever asked me this question before, but you asked me directly, Joe, are you saved? And I came up blank. I don't feel confident about that. And it just felt like a, a war going on and that I needed to get in God's face. And I finally got to a point where everything that I had been using in my life to make me feel worthy and feel like a man, it just all felt like it fell apart. I just felt something had just been ripped out of me and I felt peace and I was confident and I knew that I had accepted Christ and that He's now my Lord. He's now mine. 
I now have a relationship with him. It's not, it's not boxes to check. It's a relationship. What I see right now is in my growth, in my relationship with God, I am learning to be patient and be still. And I need to continue just allowing God to keep putting really challenging things in my life. And honestly, the challenging things in my life have gotten my attention and forced me to look to him for guidance and nothing else has worked. And I, I have tried so many things to make me feel adequate and feel like a man. And everyone goes through struggles and everyone like there, there comes a point where just, it feels absolutely unbearable. And those times are the, the best times, even though they don't feel like it because it forces you to consider things you would never have considered otherwise. And that's what God did for me. I want to tell people about what I have experienced because I have lived my life feeling uncertain with everything I say and do and feeling uncertain with what is true. And the thing I've been learning more is that it's been the most real thing that I'm certain of. And I, I've witnessed this and it's not up for debate or uncertainty. And I've lived most of my life feeling like a very uncertain person. And I want other people to hear that because I know that I'm not the only person who feels that way. Thank you so much, Joe. And I can safely say I have heard many testimonies, but your candor and honesty is truly awesome. And you made it quite clear that there was nothing easy about your ending up in this place today. Selfishly, and words cannot express my happiness, that you are now my brother in Christ. And that to me is truly awesome as I begged God to soften your heart and let you see him fully over the many times we spoke these past couple of years. And in light of what Joe has told us, we can see how our scripture passages align perfectly with Joe's struggles and what he went through and what salvation and what receiving Christ as a savior truly looks like. Something else I believe we need to focus on and something that is not often discussed when someone is looking to have a relationship with Christ and that of how Satan is not going to let you go easily at all. Satan is going to make sure this is going to be, without question, the hardest thing you have ever done in your life. Don't forget, Satan is as interested in you as God is. Don't forget, Satan wants his kingdom of hell to be packed with as many people as he can possibly have. Keep in mind also that until you receive Christ as a personal savior, you are, like it or not, living as a child of Satan. You are not somehow suspended in some limbo state where you have time to decide which direction, God or Satan, you choose to go with before you die. After all, we are born into sin and initially a slave to it. And unless we choose not to remain enslaved by Satan with him, we will remain there. Romans 6.6 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6.23 follows, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life.
Another area to remember is that we are not just saved because we are somehow born into a good Christian home. Joe made an excellent point by stating he never had a personal relationship with Jesus, only one that he felt compelled to have to gain acceptance and fit in, and that is not uncommon at all. How many people have participated in altar calls and cried and prayed and walked away the same way they went forward? And exceptionally sadly, some without any knowledge of what did or did not really happen in that person's life, just because they went to some steps or wooden table, affirms them that they now have Jesus. I personally believe that is a very dangerous place to be as the one potentially affirming something that never took place that is larger than life itself and potentially encouraging someone to believe in what never took place and ultimately encouraging them to live out a lie. Just my two cents. Salvation isn't about mood music, mood lighting, and someone begging you to make a decision for Christ. It's not a show of hands of who prayed some prayer you were told to pray and somehow that sealed the deal with God. Again, in my opinion, that is fraudulent behavior. I simply cannot stress enough that requesting the gift of salvation from God is a serious, personal time with God. It is the forging of a relationship and a relationship that is like no other in the world. No one can tell you how to go about doing this other than to tell you to just go before God and be honest, brutally honest, humbly honest, honest like you have never been honest before with anyone. Do you have to know what to say and how to talk to God? Absolutely not. God doesn't need words that make sense. Perfect sentence structure, proper diction, and proper use of grammar. That is all fluff and nonsense to God. That is something we place on ourselves in hopes that God will somehow be pleased with us for our many fluffy intellectual words. And if proper use of your native tongue and intellect were required to speak with God, no one, absolutely no one, would be eligible to communicate with Him. No one. Don't attempt to fake it till you make it, because with God, at least, you will not make it. We might be able to fake the world out, but not God. Remember what Jesus said about fake, seemingly intellectual, churchy kind of people. He called them Pharisees. And what is a Pharisee? A hypocrite. And what is a hypocrite? Someone who is a fraud, a fake, and living a life of contradiction. Furthermore, nowhere in God's Word, contrary to popular belief, does God tell us to tell someone else what to say to God in order for them to obtain salvation. There is no sinner's prayer, nowhere to be found in all of Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture do we see Jesus or His disciples sitting with someone telling people what to say and how to say it. No, not even Jesus himself. And why is this? Because we, at least, are incapable of doing such a thing. Because we don't know what to say to God half the time in our own lives. Again, if we do by chance think we have all of our stuff together when we speak with God and have all the right words and come in all the right attitude, we are not getting real with him. And kidding ourselves. I don't know about you, but I can barely manage my own relationship with God on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, let alone tell someone how to do something I naturally stink at. We should also be very happy that we don't need to get involved with someone's salvation. 
Have you considered that if indeed you take it upon yourself to, quote, tell someone what to say with regard to this life and death situation, and you make a mistake because you are putting your words in someone else's mouth and they don't mean it or fully understand what you told them to say, that could put you on the line with God and have him, God, hold you accountable for doing what only he can really do and that of guiding the process. Don't forget, this isn't about us saving people or helping someone else create their relationship with God. That is God's job and His alone. We are not called to anything more than planting seed, broadcasting the Word, and letting it fall where it may. The rest is God's job. And if you are all twisted up at this point with pride and ego that this indeed is your job and God does call us to do this for people, Consider this analogy. Your friend wants to meet someone to have a relationship with and get married. And you say, I know someone who would be perfect for you. So I'll set up a time when the three of us can go out and I'll sit next to you and tell you what to say to them. See, I have done this before. So if you just do what I tell you to do, they will like you, accept you, and fall in love with you. I'm sorry, but that's weird, really weird. And even if it were done in all of its weirdness, It wouldn't work. No relationship would likely ever prosper from that interaction. And if it did, it most likely would never last. Consider this fact. Even when people forge relationships on their own, with their own desires and understandings of getting to know someone personally, they fall apart all too frequently and sometimes just days later because it was nothing more than fraudulent flattery. In other words, don't flatter God with platitudes. As believers, we need to get out of God's way, get out of His business, and focus on what He asked us to do, which is difficult enough. Let God do the talking and the saving and the relationship building. We stink at that. And if you are struggling right now with going to God, stop struggling, I beg you, and just go talk to Him. Have a conversation with Him like you would have with anyone else. Get real. Get honest. Go boldly. Tell God exactly what is on your mind and don't try to get it all figured out before you go. Don't try to get right with yourself before you go to God. Because if you could get right with yourself, you would never need God and the correct vocabulary will not get you there. You are broken and you need fixing. You are lost and you need to be found. You are blind and you need sight. And only God can fix the broken, find the lost, and give sight to the blind, and no one but God can forge that relationship with you. As Joe mentioned in his testimony, he told God, quote, I hate you. Notice Joe is still very much alive, very on fire for God, and so much so, he is now telling the world about God. God did not strike Joe down with lightning and lava flow from heaven because he admitted that he hated God, because God already knew. And this is what God desires most of us, realness, boldness, seriousness, alone with him. So how can someone else come alongside of you and tell you how to tell God your deepest, most gory details of your life that you need to confess and repent for and how to believe every word of it in your heart? They cannot. This is between you and God, period. This is a relationship like none other. This is very serious, and initially, 
a very personal moment in the cosmos between you and your Creator, the author of your existence. Is it good to ask someone who shows themselves worthy of being a disciplined follower of Christ questions on the mechanics of steps to take to begin your pursuit of God? Absolutely. But when it comes to the relationship forging, that is yours alone with God. I hope this is encouraging for both the one who is seeking a relationship with God and the one who is encouraging someone to seek God. Let's pray. Most merciful and gracious Father, thank you for allowing us to have this direct and bold time with you in our lives. Thank you for the amazing and free gift of salvation. Thank you for your life, your death on the cross for salvation. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for doing what we cannot do ourselves. Guide those who are encouraging others to find a relationship with the Lord, not to take over, but to allow you to do your job that you do best and in only the way you can do it. Guide those who are struggling to accept you as Lord and Savior. Guide those who are frustrated and don't feel there's any end in sight to the war that Satan is raging in their lives. Thank you for offering this gift of eternity with you when we accept you fully for who you are. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 